0: Welcome to Consumed, the podcast about people who eat things, drink things, think things, and make things. So, you know, everybody. I'm Jamie Lewis, and this seventh season, I speak with folks across California, from Chico to Santa Barbara, Humboldt and Grass Valley to Los Angeles, but always at the heart of it is the Central Coast. I hope you get to hear them all. Thank you for listening. Many thanks to my friend, James Onaveros for supporting the work of this podcast. James is the force behind the family of wines known as Rancho de in the Santa Maria Valley. And because all of our friends in the food and drink industry need a boost right now, I'm going to talk about how you can get your hands on some of his wine this winter. For the holidays, wine is the perfect locally made, handmade gift that directly supports those who work to produce it. And for January 1st and beyond, Drinking beautiful burgundy inspired Chardonnay and Pinot Noir is the perfect way to celebrate what we're all hoping is a kinder and gentler year. Visit the website for information on how to order Rancho de wines, which can be shipped or delivered to your porch for free if you live around Santa Barbara County. To see what's available and to make your order, visit ranchosdeoniveros.com. Cheers! Consumed is also sponsored in part by Slow Life Magazine, which has been sharing the stories of the San Luis Obispo community for over a decade. I write the food column for Slow Life, and most recently I covered dishes made from ingredients that aren't always common here on the Central Coast. I'm considering writing about Bow steamed buns for the next column, but what do you think? Hit me up on the contact page at letsgetconsumed.com with your ideas for what to cover next. And if you want Slow Life Magazine delivered to your door every other month, Visit slowlifemagazine.com. My husband and I recently drove up to Grass Valley, California, a Gold Rush-era town where we stayed at the historic Holbrook Hotel. Built in 1862, this property is the oldest continuously operating hotel in California, and its restaurant, the Golden Gate Saloon, is one of the oldest bar rooms west of the Mississippi River. I had the pleasure of sitting down with the restaurant's executive chef, Zachary Ehrenholtz, to talk about his career and his work at the Holbrook. Chef Zachary has a passion for smoking meats, and he uses a big smoker that he and his dad built together, and it influences his menu at the hotel. We discussed the difference between Californians and Midwesterners, and we specifically look at the pork tenderloin sandwich, a dish that's a really, really big deal in the Midwest and beyond. Here's my talk with Chef Zachary Ehrenholtz. Zachary Ehrenholtz, Chef Zachary Ehrenholtz, it's so great to have you on Consumed.
1: Thanks, it's nice to be here.
0: Yeah, Um, so my husband and I drove up up yesterday and uh, from San Luis Obispo. It was like five and a half hours and we had never been to Grass Valley before and this is the most incredible, historic mining town just with the cutest downtown ever. How'd you wind up here?
1: Well, I've been in the Northern California area here for about 12 years. Um, uh, After I was in culinary school, I was working in Napa uh, for about 10 years. Um, And my wife and I uh, had been looking to move just out of the Napa area. It was just getting a little congested for us, a little overgrown. Mm -hmm. And um, interesting story, her brother and his wife got married in Nevada City. Uh, at Miner's Foundry, so she had been oh. kind of known the area a little bit, and we had been kind of looking, and it just, the stars kind of aligned for us to make the move up here, and so we just kind of jumped jumped on the opportunity when it came, yeah. uh, and we love it. We're so happy and excited to be here right. still.
0: Yeah, so. I could see why, yeah. totally, especially if you can find work here, I think, because right. um, it is pretty small and it quaint. it is, sure, yeah. Um, and so we're sitting at the Holbrook Hotel, which has just been renovated after what sounds like kind of a long renovation, right? About
1: 18 months, yeah. They've yeah. been working hard for a while to get this place beautiful, mm-hmm. really. And I think that's the best word you can use to describe it. it. So it's so beautiful. absolutely gorgeous through and through. Yeah. So,
0: Did you work here before the renovation? Uh,
1: just briefly, just after the property was bought, um, I was about the time that I had moved here Mm -hmm. um, and I basically like I said moved up here uh, on on a little bit of a whim Uh, I didn't have a job when I moved here Mm -hmm. and um, I was lucky enough to get hired just shortly after the property had exchanged hands and I was lucky enough that they uh, felt to keep me on Mm -hmm. through the whole transition period and the the renovations and everything so
0: so how would you describe I was asking somebody at the bar this last night how would you describe how the hotel felt and looked before I had never been here before I've only seen it like this. um well it still
1: had the the historical kind of aspect feel to it but it definitely had a very rundown unkempt mm-hmm. sort of feel to it 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 I would say that it felt 50 years overdue for a renovation. Yeah. Uh, easily. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a 170-year-old building, and the last major renovation was who knows when. Yeah. And it had been needing it for a long time, and um, it's been done justice to the... It,
0: it for sure has. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, it's got... I was telling a friend of mine... It's got this very kind of like a masculine, you know. It's an old mining hotel.
1: Definitely, yeah. It definitely has a very masculine feel to it. But it's and,
0: but it's elegant too.
1: Right, right. Very refined yeah. masculinity, I guess. Yeah,
0: now you have <laughs> now you have your sound bite for whenever somebody asks you. Well, what's it like? So did the food change then too between the old hotel well, and now? Yeah,
1: I mean um, before. Uh, before when I first started working here, I, uh, like I said, I just kind of joined as a kitchen hand, Mm -hmm. you know, a a, a cook. Um, and they had commissioned someone to just create kind of a Temporary menu mm-hmm. um, before they closed for renovations, and so I was just here helping to produce that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that we've relaunched, you know, I've spent the last year and a half while it's been under mm-hmm. renovation. I've spent that time researching, writing recipes, uh, all all the things that go along with that, with building out a menu deserving of this hotel. What has,
0: over the past 18 months, what has excited you? What do you feel like is a good fit or an anchor for your menu?
1: Um, I would say, number one, kind of a barbecue, smoke focus. But then with that, um, as much as I can to kind of bring the roots of California into it also, we talk a lot about uh, Mm Californio cuisine, which is related to the mission settlers uh so there's a lot of mexican spanish kind of influence in that style of food uh corn tortillas Mm -hmm. uh avocados olives
0: i had the um, tamale pie last night
1: oh what did you think i loved it i love the pork in it too The pork in it right so is that
0: all smoked
1: that's smoked Yeah, yeah yeah that's uh the pork Just alone for that is a several-day process. I believe
0: it, and you know, I gotta say, we were very encouraged when we walked up from the parking lot up through the back. Huge smoker, just pumping away. I I built that. You did? I did.
1: Yeah, my dad and I built it together as kind of a father-son sort of project.
0: Tell me about that. Tell me where does the smoking thing come from? Um. (laughs) uh, You
1: know, it it, just—it's something that I've always liked about cooking that I've always wanted to approach and learn more about. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's very much, uh, it takes time, uh, you know, not just a slow, low cooking process, but then there's also days of prep time, whether it's curing or brining the meat, and then you need to hang the meat, and let it get dried Mm -hmm. just slightly. So the smoke actually sticks to it. So it absorbs Mm -hmm. that smoke flavor. Um, I've just always kind of been very interested in it. When I was in Napa, we had just a kind of a small refrigerator sized electric is called a cook shack, Mm -hmm. basically smoker. Um, And I had done a lot of research through this time that we were off and from what I had found to really, impart the flavor that we really wanted, I needed to just kind of move a step beyond that to having what what the barbecue world they refer to as kind of a stick burner what
0: does that mean oh, like a a place for the sticks to burn well yes you 're burning you're burning
1: <laughs> sticks of firewood got it, whereas uh, what I had used before, you would have just a little tiny metal box Mm -hmm. where you would fill with wood chips Mm -hmm. and that would be heated by an electric element and Uh. that would release the smoke. Whereas this, I'm actually just starting a fire and it's cooking off of that live fire, which I think anyone that's tasted anything that we've cooked off of it, it's, it's incomparable to any other form of cooking. Yeah. Um, you know, and... A lot of a lot of other states around are very, bar you know they're very famous for their barbecue. But when you say California barbecue, it doesn't necessarily conjure good images in people's minds. What does it and conjure? So, do you think? Uh, I mean, I think it conjures. Um, Careful now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, I guess I think it conjures a, lo- a lot of like pre-cooked, dried out sliced meats yeah. and not not cared for properly not actually cooked over this live fire like, like I said it 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 imparts just a an indescribableness to the meat and anything that you cook on there that you can't find in in any other sort if you're familiar with like real Texas barbecue yeah. or Carolina barbecue yeah. it's it's that same indescribable quality there. There's you know? so
0: much flavor, and it's so succulent. I agree. I was in Austin uh, 18 months ago.
1: Right. And the
0: brisket, I mean, you just don't, there's right. nothing quite right. like it. Right,
1: there's nothing quite like it. And, I mean, that's what, <laughs> I, that's what I'm trying to capture at least a little bit mm-hmm. and bring it to, to the Holbrook here, um, that same indescribableness in of you know you don't know when you're eating it, you don't necessarily know why this mm-hmm. brisket that you get in austin is so much better than anything that you get anywhere else mm-hmm. you know but i'm trying to figure figure out what it is that make it and the live fire of the stick burner is definitely a big part yeah, you know,
0: I don't know much about smoking meats. I've never done it myself. Right. And you here, you just built one right. with your dad, um, so it's probably pretty young, right? This this smoker we saw.
1: Yeah, I, I pretty much finished it about a year ago. Okay, so um, You're like getting
0: the hang of this. Getting, particular well, just thing. getting
1: the 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 smoker built, you know, and getting it to a usable state. And I've had some time to practice on it. But um, I'm still day in and day out learning the ins and outs of actually using it, you know, sure, yeah. uh, controlling the temperature, how it likes to burn. Um, there's definitely a, a technique to building your fire and cooking on the fire. You know, if your fire is smoldering and really smoking too much, you're not going to have a good quality to the meat. Mm. The fire actually needs to be burning. And when it's burning correctly, it doesn't seem to produce that much smoke. Mm. Uh it burn it should be burning fairly clean. Mm. It shouldn't be billowing smoke out.
0: Like we've all seen. Like a campfire, you just right, can't get away right, from right, the smoke. Exactly.
1: Yeah. A campfire where the wood's not seasoned correctly, yeah. uh, and it's just billowing stinky smoke in every direction but when you have a campfire that's burning hot burning well the smoke all just goes straight up and goes away and you don't hardly notice it it's a similar kind of concept where uh, you want your fire to really be burning hot Mm -hmm. and well to impart good flavor onto the meat yeah. So
0: um, I saw something on your menu last night that I've never seen anywhere. Which is under the starters, you know, an appetizer mm-hmm. is a jerky plate. Yeah. I we didn't get it, <laughs> but can you explain what it would look like if we got it?
1: Um, it's it's really it's pretty simple. Um, it's just uh, a couple pieces of of homemade jerky that we've done here. It's a it's a fairly simple recipe, but you know, uh, for for people. Y- again it's just something that when you take a little bit of time and a little bit of care in it it, it can turn something very simple into something that's kind of actually amazing you yeah, know right. um so
0: yeah did you grow up hunting or doing anything
1: uh not really hunting no but I did grow up in in a rural part of Iowa um oh, you did. yeah so i'm familiar with the culture um I would say more just kind of farm boy, mm-hmm. you know, even though I was really young when we actually moved off the farm. I had lots of friends that still lived on farms, and we'd go and drive trucks around starting at ten twelve years old. We're driving farm trucks or we're talking like
0: row crops or or corn like dairy corn or? soybeans, okay. mostly, yeah,
1: yeah, you know, um, I had some friends, and they did have. Pigs and cattle, also, but mostly, mostly corn and soybeans.
0: So, how so. does a, a kid growing up on a farm wind up out in California? It's,
1: it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think for some, for some, what of me cooking's always kind of been part part of me. Uh, my my grandmother, my dad's mom, was just a fabulous cook, and you know, being uh, uh, a farm wife, basically, she would cook, spend most of the day cooking, especially during harvest season. And then all the men would come in from the field and she'd have a giant spread ready for them, you know? Mm. Um, And so that's a big part of my memories growing up is her food. And my my parents always say that I cook like her. When you would ask her for a recipe, she'd tell you oh it's a little bit of this and a little bit yeah. of that a handful you know not not very specific at all and very much cooked by intuition
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know so i have a lot of that um Do
0: you know who taught her how did she learn
1: I'm sure it was just passed down from her mother yep. and then oh, always in in Iowa all of the small towns there i have i actually have a pretty good collection of them that I've been given from my parents and from her collection that are community cookbooks yes. and church, church potluck, church potluck yep. cookbooks, um all things like this. So I try and pull, you know, at least, at least general ideas of the recipes yeah. from there. You know, if, if I don't copy them verbatim, mm-hmm. it's at least to be like, well, how would I go to make a potato salad yeah. and make it, like I remember my grandma made it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go to those and, and call at least for finding that one kind of secret missing ingredient yeah. that that really, the pickle, the, right. the celery, the whatever, pickle, whatever it is, the dill, the mustard, the dill, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it exactly is. Oh, there's diced onion in it. Yeah. Who would have guessed, you know, yeah. uh, things like that. There's so. a
0: flavor to that stuff that's so specific. And I can't tell you how many people I interview on this that say a grandparent, usually a grandmother, is the reason they got involved right, right. in whether it's winemaking, distilling, cooking. Um, were you pretty close to her?
1: I was pretty close with all my family, really, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, she was she was very special. She was one of the sweetest ladies you could ever imagine. Yeah. Um, whenever, whenever I was in college uh, or someplace, whenever she would come to visit if I had an event or something, I'm not exactly sure how she managed this, but she would always manage to go somewhere and meet someone that knew me. Really but I think it was just she was always so proud oh. that she would go into the the k f c and happen <laughs> to be chatting with the cashier and be uh oh, do you know my grandson? do you know my grandson zach we're here we're here for his concert, and we just love him and it somehow would happen to find someone that oh. knew me it was really. Don't you aspire to be that? Right, right. I
0: totally aspire (laughs) to be that. Okay, you mentioned concert. Did you play in a band? Are you like Um, classical or
1: I had had played in in a concert band since I was young. I played, I grew up and I took piano lessons Mm -hmm. and I don't really play piano anymore. But then I played, I actually played tuba in concert band through high school. uh, And then I play the bass guitar.
2: Yeah.
1: um, And I'm really out of practice lately, uh, but I hope. Eventually, I can get back into it. This is a pretty good area for that. There's a lot of musicians in the area around here. I think half of my kitchen staff, if not more, are would call themselves musicians. I love so, that. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so. it's a
0: very, it feels like a very culturally alive place. Yeah. People value yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you, I'm just curious, uh, when you were in high school, were you pretty, uh, did you ever have like a rebellious phase? So many cooks do. Um,
1: you know, not really. I had, I had a couple instances where I got into a little bit of trouble, Um, but I wouldn't really call it rebellious, Mm -hmm. you know, just being a dumb teenager. And, but, you know, for the most part, I was, I would say I was a pretty good kid. Straight and narrow. Yeah. For the, for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, I played, I played football and, Mm -hmm. uh, played in the band and, you know, I was always pretty good in school. Um,
0: and you went to college?
1: I did. I went to uh, Iowa State University nice. for a couple of years. Uh, I was actually studying mechanical engineering what? before before I went to culinary school. Yeah.
0: And what what was the moment like that you decided you weren't going to do that and you were going to go to culinary you school? You
1: know, it was just, um, I want to say it was one of the intro, like the, the real intro to engineering courses where you're really – learning to work out these complex engineering problems Mm -hmm. that take four, five, six, multiple pages of paper to solve one problem. And it just, it, 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 I felt no passion for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, it wasn't that I couldn't do it. I just didn't care Mm -hmm. to do it. I had no desire to do it. So I just, Stopped, yeah, you know, and at that point, I had been working in and out of kitchens for you know I was twenty two years old, I think, and I had been in and out of kitchens for the last ten years, even at that point. oh my
0: gosh, what was you your know? first kitchen job how old were you? Uh, I was
1: twelve years old washing dishes
0: at what restaurant uh some friends
1: of my parents uh actually bought this restaurant in my hometown, and they had done some remodeling and relaunched it. And we had gone in to eat on their opening night and them not really being restauranteurs, uh, Mm. they had not hired a dishwasher. Mm.
2: So we walked
1: in (laughs) at six o'clock on a Friday night on their opening day and they're slammed busy. The friends of my parents come up to me and they grab me. They're like, you want to make some money? We need you to wash dishes. So I went to the back and I washed dishes and in some sense or another, I've almost been in a kitchen for the rest since then, Isn't that you know? incredible? So it's interesting being 37 years old and having been in a kitchen for 25 years. That you know? is, that is. And <laughs> so, also like,
0: I always think when people say that, cause so many, so many chefs say they started washing dishes, you know, how, even after having done that as your first impression of working in a kitchen, you stuck with it because I've washed dishes in a restaurant. It's it's drudgery to me anyway. I don't have a passion for washing dishes. And I also like, I think a lot of people get off on the high of being in the energy of a kitchen. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it definitely can be, but it's, it can definitely be fast paced and intense and exciting in its own right, even though it's, you're scraping plates, spraying yeah. them, running through the machine. You know, yeah. But you can find some enjoyable aspects to it. Trying to trying to fight against the the onslaught of the dishes, trying to uh, keep your stacks of clean dishes yeah. very neat and organized. You know, mm-hmm. um, organization is such a huge part of being successful in the kitchen and it kind of can start in the dish pit there, you know, so.
0: That's a great point. I've heard from other chefs that working clean is a constant, it's like, it's like creating order out of chaos. It it, it
1: definitely is. And it's a constant battle. I mean, and especially I'm going through it right now, just with just being open, only really being in this kitchen for a matter of weeks at this point. Yeah. Uh, I have some, Some of my staff is pretty talented and has decent experience in the kitchen, but then some of my staff is pretty green and Mm -hmm. doesn't have much and teaching them how to work properly. I mean, it's a it's a battle constantly, but, you know we'll, we'll get there. You will. And it's (laughs)
0: trial and error so much. Oh, sure. Sure. Like everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you said that you made a decision to leave mechanical engineering. So were you just like, I've been in kitchens for so long, I'm going to go to culinary school.
1: Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I at the time when I, when I decided to, to leave Iowa state, I, I had a couple of really interesting jobs that I really liked uh, the one job that I had was actually working at a Euro cart. Really? Uh, which was in Campus Town in Ames, Iowa. Um, huh. It's semi-famous. Um, they've been featured in write-ups and magazines uh, really? just for the intensity that that particular Euro stands holds. You know, it was it was a lot of fun. It was really intense. You'd be working... Uh, very late night hours, which, if I'm going to be honest, contributed to part of my not having success in school. Working until three, four o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh, because it was like um, people parties right, and bars right. empty. But it was it was so much fun because we'd be sitting there working on a Friday night and. 1 2 o'clock in the morning when the bars would let out we would have a line 80 to 100 plus people deep and there's music blaring it's loud on a friday night before a big football game we'd have the marching band playing right before Fine. us blaring you're trying to scream at your at your guests uh intense Probably one of my fondest memories of being there. One of the funnest jobs I've ever really had. And the most intense, really, at the same time. Yeah. Um, So I was working there. And then I, on the flip side of it, I was working at this place uh, called The Cafe. And that's just what they go by. And it's in Ames, Iowa, also. Uh, And they were kind of the north edge of town. And they were one of the nicer restaurants in town mm-hmm. they had a full bakery um they had breakfast lunch dinner service mm-hmm. all house breads house pastries catered cakes and weddings and everything very seasonal at the whim of the chef menu mm-hmm. um and by far it was nicer than any place that i had ever worked at Mm -hmm. um and it was kind of the place that opened my eyes to cooking being more than just a side gig to where it made it seem like it was something that i could dive into and be successful as a profession Mm -hmm. as a chef you know um So it was really inspiring for me. And so I was there and then I actually went to uh, culinary school in Minneapolis uh, at Le Cordon Bleu before they became kind of a defunct uh, state that they're in now. Yeah, Um,
0: that's interesting you say that because it does feel like it really used to mean... Like, it was this very, I don't want to get myself in trouble, or you, but it does, I don't know what it is, but something changed, didn't it? It did. They were,
1: they definitely operated as a for-profit school, Uh and I know that the regulations for those, I believe, became a lot tougher. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think instead of falling in line with the regulations, they just decided to... Close a lot of their
0: campuses. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, was it a good education for you? You know,
1: it really was. Yeah. um I don't believe that I would be here where I am today without having gone through culinary school. Mm-hmm. You know, it was intense. It was a, a a lot of time and a lot of money invested, but mm-hmm. I feel that it paid off. Did you have to you pick
0: know. a focus while you were there? No, not okay. really.
1: It was it, it was basically a year long program. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seven, eight hours a day yeah uh five days a week in the kitchen with a three-month internship at the end of it
0: where did you do your internship Uh, I was
1: at Hurley's in Oh,
0: okay right oh lovely so you went all the way over to California
1: I did I did yeah I um Minneapolis was just not for me yeah um Part of it was the big city. Mm-hmm. Um I'm, it is I'm a just, big city. I'm just more of a small town kind of guy at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just a little too much for me and that. And I just, just personally, it just didn't click for me. Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to go somewhere other than Minneapolis when I left. And... I was one of the top students in my class, so I kind of had a choice of where I wanted to go, mm-hmm. um, and Napa seemed very appealing to me. Yeah. Uh, California seemed this strange, neat, unknown. Uh, I grew up grew up in the Midwest with harsh winters for, you know, 24 years of my life at that point, mm-hmm. uh, and it seemed like an idea to get out. Mm -hmm. and see what it was like here and I've ever since I've been in California I've never once really questioned leaving
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about one of my sponsors slow food co-ops mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality products and exceptional customer service Community-owned Slow Food Co-op buys from local producers, ensuring they offer their customers real and sustainable food. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and environmentally sustainable packaging. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. How do Californians compare to Iowans? Do you have any comparisons?
1: You know, um, Midwesterners are a different sort of breed. You know, they're they're a very outgoing, over-the-top, nice Mm -hmm. group of people. Um, And some of that comes from when you're in some of the smaller towns, it's everybody knows everybody. But at the same time, Californians are great bunches of people also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's differences sure but i wouldn't say either group is a, a better group of people than no, the other you no, know no, no, no. or anything like that i'd say they're both they're people are good people yeah wherever you go for you sure know? and i totally you know agree. so um
0: it's funny that you say everybody knows everybody in small towns in Iowa because literally this morning we're sitting in the cafe across the street, which is very good by the way. Um, the brew Brubake. bakers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, um, every single person who came in, they all knew him by name and we thought, right, Gosh, that's appealing. Right. Yeah. There's something th- so appealing. This, about this that. town
1: definitely has that feel to it. Yes. You know, um, that's intriguing. I like it. You know, um, I'm still new enough to the town where I don't feel everyone knows me. 12 years? Well, but not, not in Grass Valley here. Oh,
0: where were you for 12 I was years? In, I
1: was in Napa for about 10 years.
0: Gotcha, so you're right. just a couple I, years I'm here. only
1: about two years in Grass Valley here. Okay.
0: I think feeling like a local doesn't happen till three years or more.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. I imagine with this relaunch of the hotel, and just the excitement and the buzz in the town, mm-hmm. I will probably become more well known very quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and <laughs> so. also
0: being a chef, especially an executive chef, is such an all or nothing job. It feels like you probably don't. I mean, how often are you at like backyard barbecues and things right, to meet people? Right, right, I mean, Or maybe you are. I don't know. What yeah, is it like? No,
1: not usually. It's usually here and my house, yeah. you know. I've gotten to know my neighbors decently well, but that's about the extent of my real social circle. Yeah. You know. Is I, that okay with you? Yeah, it's it's great. I I uh was lucky enough that about a year ago I was able to purchase a home up here. Nice. So that was pretty exciting for me. Um Totally. Yeah. And how
0: how did you meet your wife?
1: Um she actually it's a funny story uh She's a nurse and she works at Sutter Auburn Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had actually met while she was working at the uh, the hospital in Napa because when she was going through nursing school, she was waitressing at uh, a restaurant in Napa called Fume. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was... Basically, what she did to put herself through nursing school a little bit. Um, And fast forward about six, seven years down the road, she was full-time nursing and was looking to just pick up a little side job. And the owner of the restaurant that I was the chef at at the time uh, had been her manager at Fume. So she basically approached Justin and had asked if she could pick up a shift or two. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we had kind of initially met through there and weird things. And it was actually somehow six months after she no longer worked there, we had seen each other at an event and, one thing led oh, to hey. another one thing led to another and a year later we were married you oh know? So, awesome yeah
0: awesome so she gets the restaurant thing then, she does too. she
1: does she's okay. familiar with it yeah so she had um spent a lot of time in uh in her 20s uh in restaurants she had lived in portland for five or six years and had bartended and worked up there in restaurants and worked at the heathman hotel there mm-hmm. and you know, so she's she's very familiar with it. That so. makes
0: me wonder: Do you have you worked at other hotel properties for, um, in kitchens?
1: Uh, I have, yeah. So after I did my internship at Hurley's, uh, I worked at Calistoga Ranch, mm-hmm. which is uh, under the the auberge Resorts kind of umbrella in in Napa Valley. Which I'm not even sure if it's there anymore with mm. this last round of. I, Fires. I think that totally. it, I think that it was unfortunately a victim, oh. um, which is a shame. It was just a wondrous property, yeah. um, these amazing little bungalows, and
0: mm.
1: you know, unfortunately, with all the the unfortunate fires that we've been having i think that it's no longer around yeah um
0: did you guys get hit here pretty badly grass valley you know
1: not since i've been okay that's good because i know so i think a couple years previous like maybe five years ago i think they might have had some close ones that ran through here Mm -hmm. but um Nothing extremely okay, bad. That's good. Here. Yeah.
0: Um I stayed at the Meadowood in Napa. I was right. there for a conference and just it was so beautiful and I was so heartbroken to hear that the right. fire was like right up at their back door right. and maybe went further. That's as much as I know, but um
1: I think that it, it's gone also now.
0: Get out of here. Yeah. I mean one of the most beloved properties. Right. Okay. Poor a little champagne on the ground for our homies um but as far as working in hotels versus like freestanding restaurants is there any difference for you in the kitchen
1: i mean there is you know hotels have a lot more quirks to them Mm -hmm. i would say than um than a freestanding restaurant does Mm. you know you have people basically living in your restaurant (laughs) you know um so with a restaurant you can really choose your your meal periods a little more yes uh, effectively or sele- selectively i guess mm-hmm. you can choose to be only open for dinner or only lunch and dinner whereas i feel with a hotel you know you need to provide all three dining periods for your guest plus maybe kind of mid snack period and and even like a late night sort of option. If your guests been out on the town all day and they come back to their room late, you still need to be ready for, for them, you know, uh, because without the guest, what are we, you know? So you just have to really anticipate a lot more. You know, you have to anticipate what your guests' needs will be and be prepared for it. You yeah, know? and have things um,
0: prepped and ready at all times for any right, permutation right, of your right, menu. Right. Yeah.
1: You know, and then um, obviously with uh, with them, where we want to have breakfast. You have to have breakfast yeah. ready for them, and breakfast to me can be one of the most difficult dining periods. Just because everything is very fast paced, you know, Um, and everyone's particular about their breakfast, you know, everybody wants their eggs cooked a certain way. Everybody wants their their bacon cooked a certain way, whether whether you like it crispy or whether you like it a little bit more on the. Floppy? The, the floppy side, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, uh, and I have
0: to I, cook bacon for a floppy bacon lover, and it's not well, that's it's not what that's I would that's, that's
1: me. Oh, that's me for sure. Um, I know you can't see me, but my father in law he always says I like my bacon to curl over, oh, not boy. not to stand straight up, you know. You <laughs> well, know. and
0: you, being a smoked meat guy, that must be. I mean you must be very particular I'm sure about the flavor and about the texture and Right.
1: I yeah. mean the, the easiest way to solve that is to make your own bacon. You
0: know? Sure, sure. We
1: have the <laughs> we have the rig to do it might really as well. Will. So, yeah. you know, but like I said, um and it's understandable. People they're just it, breakfast is a very particular meal for people. Mm-hmm. Um so you just have to be prepared again for it and and anticipate it, but it can be one of the more challenging periods because of that. Yeah, you know? yeah.
0: Um, tell me about a time that you were in a kitchen, whether your own or somebody else's, and everything was going wrong. Um,
1: probably one of the toughest times that comes to memory um, readily was when I was in Napa and I was just a sous chef uh, at the time at this Italian restaurant, um, and the chef had taken off the week or two weeks before Christmas, which number one, I learned from that experience. That's not a time where chef gets to take home. No. Um, but he had taken off that time and we had just had day after day after day of, just maxing out our guest count Mm -hmm. um and it comes to be i think it was the 23rd of december Mm -hmm. i I don't know why that's the date that rings in my head but i'm almost i would bet dollars to donuts that (laughs) that that's the day that it was and uh we were a small kitchen usually ran with two cooks and chef uh working kind of in the middle on the hot side of the line and um one of my cooks just didn't show up mm. for dinner service. Mm. And my other cook that was on the kind of grill pizza station um was fairly new to that station as in probably had just started within the last week. Mm-hmm. And I think that night we put out somewhere in the in the range of we served 160 guests in about a three-hour period between me and one other guy and it was just it was just very very difficult the whole way through um one of those periods where every chef will relate to it you just dream and have nightmares about the printer (gasps) that will not stop printing you know it's it's a recurring nightmare for many a chef
0: but it sounds like you love that
1: too i mean there's there's a certain part of you that learns to thrive on it mm-hmm. you know the intensity in general um, you you learn to try to manage it and to be it, it all comes back to the organization you know if you're prepared for it if you're organized if you're set up for it it can be really gratifying gratifying in the yeah. end yeah. you know um when you when you it's like because it is in some sense a battle mm-hmm. you know when you come to the end of a really intense shift but everything you know you sent out was the absolute best that you yeah. could have done and that you just served this incredible number of people and everyone you you take a you're able to take just a step out into the dining room and you just hear a buzz about Mm -hmm. and everyone's just enjoying themselves and you know somebody might see you and be like chef that was amazing you know that's really what makes it all worth it Mm -hmm. um in the end is that kind of sense of accomplishment in making people happy Totally. You know, that's really what it comes down to mm-hmm. um, is that as hard as you work and as intense and as it can be, and as, and as hard as it can be on you to fight through that, the trenches, mm-hmm. um, the satisfaction that you can produce in somebody, it, there's, there's no other feeling yeah. you can feel beat down and it. And think that you maybe can't feel or step any lower because you just went through an incredibly intense and difficult service. Mm-hmm. And you can have one guest come up to you and tell you how amazing everything was, how they loved this one particular thing, or you know, how it was the best cooked steak that they've ever had. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. That one satisfied person that really feels they need to express it to you you can completely flip the way you're feeling, you know, completely fill you with that joy, which Mm -hmm. is what you kind of strive for For a little bit. Do you have a
0: greatest hit? Something that you make that just is like the thing that everybody loves, whether you love it or not. I know that's a love hate thing Um, sometimes.
1: You know, I don't know if I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I guess maybe the one thing that I could say is just because I've carried it over with me through the years is probably my gnocchi. I um,
0: thought about getting that last night. Yeah, I should have done it.
1: It's one of those that um it can be really special. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's tough to find People, in my opinion, are places that do it extremely well. And
0: what's the difference? Like, is it the lightness of a right gnocchi yeah, as opposed yeah. to like the thuddiness of yes? A bad I mean,
1: one? your gnocchi should be very light and delicate. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I've spent this last week and I've taught several different people in my kitchen how to make this you know Mm -hmm. and through all the craziness of just prepping everything and opening i have there's been at least one time where i hadn't been able to pay as much attention as as i would like and i and i come over and the cook is halfway through it and i'm like Mm -hmm. i'm sorry you have to throw that away Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. you didn't do it right we just have to start over and it's fine because i wasn't able to sit here and and hold your hand, hold your hand through it, but that's the only way to really teach you Mm -hmm. how to do it correctly. I tell all of my cooks, there's a recipe for it in my book, but that's just kind of a guide, you know? There's only one way to cook gnocchi, and it's purely by the feel, by By the feel of it, you know? We make jokes about it that if you're not, a 90-year-old Italian grandmother (laughs) sweating over and crying into the dough and are you really making your gnocchi properly, you know? (laughs) Um, But in some senses, it's it's true. If you don't try and take that personal touch and Mm -hmm. care and little bit of feel and love that goes into it, you're not able to produce it right and practice the, right and practice it's 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 one of those that the there's just so many small variables no potato is exactly the same size as another potato right. mm-hmm. the moisture content of a potato isn't the same are one you using like yukon's another. or we use you i like i prefer to use yukon potatoes puffy, yeah.
0: fluffy yeah yeah okay. yeah
1: that's what i prefer mm-hmm. to use for my gnocchi i think it's it gives the best flavor yeah. and texture. I know I love the flavor of you so. got,
0: you're like I sometimes I think oh, a potato's a potato but it's not. It's not. It's totally not. There's
1: there's all there's all sorts of different different potatoes and they all and have flavors they all scratches. have their own little uniqueness to yeah. them and I wouldn't put one potato necessarily above the other. Mm -hmm. It all kind of depends on what you're going to use it for. Yeah. You know, I think I have four different types of potatoes that I buy. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Uh, And they all have their own specific purposes. Yeah. So
0: I ask everybody on my podcast, uh, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow and you were happy, yay, celebration. What would you, what would you eat and who would you be with?
1: Um, I mean, it's probably a cliche answer, but I just want to be with my family, you know, mm-hmm. my wife, my animals, my parents, probably mm-hmm. my brothers, you know, that's what, what I'd really want to, who I'd want to be with, who I'd want to see. Yeah. Um, what I would probably want to eat, I'd probably want the pork tenderloin sandwich that I have on my menu.
0: Really? Yeah,
1: that's that's my Iowa throwback dish right there. Um, it's I don't think anybody's quite gotten it yet here. Yeah, yeah. But but for me, it's that that that's the dish that reminds me of home mm-hmm. because every restaurant, it's kind of an Iowa, Illinois, Indiana sort of. Dish and it's it's quote unquote tender mm-hmm. loin mm-hmm. because it's not actually the the tender loin of the animal it's the the loin, yes, the pork loin yeah um and it's uh it's portioned out and it's it's ran through the meat tenderizer, oh right, yeah. so it gets to be uh Quite large of mm-hmm. a of a sandwich, so I I keep mine on the conservative side here, and it still surrounds the bun
0: by like by a, by a
1: couple of inches, yeah. an inch to two. You know, the the meat it expands it. If if anyone's familiar with it, or if you were to look it up, there's several Facebook groups that are all about pork tenderloin sandwiches. It's a thing. Oh, it's definitely a thing. Um, I had
0: no idea, but
1: in the, in the Midwest, it gets ridiculous and where the, where the pork tenderloin is the size of a large dinner dinner plate or bigger on one little bun where it's like four <laughs> or five times the size of the bun, you know, and
0: you can't get your mouth to the bun. You got to start. I mean, it's, it's,
1: it's like a, it's, like I said, it's just a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I try to be a little bit on the conservative side yeah. here. And even then, every time I make one for someone that's never seen it before, they're like, oh, chef, I think you could cut down the portion size on that a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> I am cutting down the portion size on it. You, you just... You're just not familiar, you oh, know? Oh, I got to so, try that. You know, and it's, and it's one of those, too. I keep it on the menu, and I keep it mayonnaise, mustard, pickles, and sliced onion. Because it's a, there, it, there is one of those things, that's, it's, there's purists about it. Sure. You know, they're like, no, 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 there's only certain ingredients that go on the pork tenderloin sandwich. If yeah. you put something other than that on, you're... You're wrong, you you're, and you're going so, to hell. And I'm not. I'm not that intense about it. You know, I'm not going to tell people they can't have what they want on it. Yeah. You know, I'm here to make people happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and so. But as I put it on the menu, if you order it off the menu, it only comes with those ingredients. Love it. Just to put it in that little bit of purist sort of pork tenderloin mindset if you know you You know know. yeah if you know you know right right I haven't taken the time to actually try and push it out to these pork tenderloin groups yet but I'm sure if I were to there'd be people that'll make the trip just for it so, you got to do that. Yeah. You got
0: to do it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sitting with me and letting me break service. Um, I know you had to go and get no, some bread a, out of the oven, but I really appreciate it. And thank you for the lovely stay here too. Good.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Consumed, hosted by me, Janie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. You know, this season marks my 70th interview with California tastemakers, and I continue to feel lucky for getting to speak with so many cool people about flavor. As we move into 2021, please continue to lean into your local independent businesses wherever you are. They will need your support more than ever this winter. Thanks for listening and see you next time.